0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design with a little bit of zest. My name is James Q Quick, and I am a full-time content creator.
1: (laughs) Hello, my name is Amy Dutton. I am the director of design at Zeal.
0: Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed.
1: Today we have two fabulous sponsors with Hashnode and daily.dev. Hashnode is a wonderful blogging platform that not only makes it easy to get a blog up and running quickly, but has a wonderful community that will get more eyeballs on your work faster, helping you grow your own community. And daily.dev is a browser extension that will help you stay up to date on all the latest and greatest news within the tech industry. It's very easy to install and recommendations are tailored specifically to you. So more from each of these sponsors later in the show.
0: And we have on an amazing guest and Joe Previn who is going to talk to us about open source TypeScript. And then we'll throw in a little of them and why you should check it out, why you should use it, which I think would be his opinion is absolutely yes. So, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Do You want to introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about your background?
2: Sure. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me today. So hey, everyone. My name is Joe Previtt. I'm based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I work as an open source TypeScript engineer for a startup called Coder, which basically takes your development environment and moves it to the cloud. And then I do some other stuff on the side. I have a TypeScript course and a PIP course. So it's a little bit about me.
0: I feel like all the guests we have have some sort of side thing. And it's so exciting how much amazing content people do in this world.
1: I was gonna say I've heard that Scottsdale is like the hidden gem of the United States.
2: That's funny. So it totally <laughs> is there. It is like the place in the spring to go for like bachelor or bachelorette parties. So mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> um, there's a like old town Scottsdale. There's like a bunch of bars and restaurants. You know, we always have sunshine, so it's definitely a hidden gem. Mm-hmm. And lots of really good golf courses. Yes. Yeah, and golfing. I'm not <laughs> into golfing because I suck, but yeah, James. <laughs> but you'll get there. Yeah, one day, one day. But we've got to schedule
0: our tea time for Sunday. I think we're gonna go play golf for the first time in a couple of weeks. I'm excited about. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Get your tea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you mentioned open source TypeScripts, two of the buzzwords mm-hmm. that we want to talk about. Like what does what has been your excitement or passion for open source? How did that become something that you were interested in? And then we'll get into the TypeScript topic, which I think will be a ton of fun too.
2: Yeah, I would say my first maybe exposure or intro to TypeScript was like five years ago when I was trying to break into the industry. And I come from the self-taught background. And so although I have a college degree, you know, it's not computer science or tech related. So I really had to lean on my portfolio and my projects to kind of get my foot in the door or at least to get somebody to look at my resume and take it seriously. And one of the pieces of advice that I got early on was, hey, you should contribute to open source because chances are, you know, if you contribute to an open source project with at least like a thousand people or who knows, like 10,000 stars, your code is going to be under more scrutiny compared to you just building a to-do app for your portfolio. And so... I had some friends at the time who were also studying on free code camp and we found a project called Habitica, which is a gamified task manager. I can drop a link in Twitch in a second. It's open source and we contributed to it. And that was like my first contribution. And from there, I've just kind of been hooked since because I see it equivalent to like, I don't know, like in school and stuff, how you would do volunteer projects and like get involved with the community and things like that. I see open source in a way sometimes when you're not taking advantage of as that way for us to volunteer, right? Like I care about this project. Why don't I spend an hour on the weekend? Like, I don't know, updating the documentation because it's helped me so much. So like you're basically volunteering with your time as opposed to, you know, some people volunteer with their money.
0: I love that. So I kind of want to know exactly or a little more specifically what types of contributions you would have made at that point. Because I think about early on, in your learning journey, anything open source is honestly really intimidating. like I remember the first time I did a PR for a basic docs change i didn 't know the workflow i didn 't know what the whole thing was. like it was a whole new thing for me, and just GitHub in general and workflows is intimidating enough, not even getting into a potential code base and so I know that 's a common piece of advice that people have just like you got of like contribute to open source. It gives you like as close to real world experience honestly as you can get right because you have those extra eyes on the code that you 're writing and the contributions. But it's still an intimidating thing. So I'm curious, like what kind of contributions were you making early on?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to see if I can pull up. I wrote an article for FreeCodeCamp about like the whole experience. Mm. And yeah, so in those days, like when somebody says, oh, go contribute to open source. I feel like there's two approaches, like one, which I think a lot of people fall into this. I did. I was like, okay. Let's find an open source project that has the tech stack that I know. And let's search through the issues and see something that's not too complex, but something like complex enough that I could put on my portfolio. And I feel like you fall into this trap where like you fall into the almost like the analysis paralysis where you're just like endlessly searching. Mm -hmm. And so I found Habitica and, and made that contribution. But I think the other path, which I would recommend if I were starting again today is to look at the projects that you're already using, right? So I know, I think you two are like big into Svelte and I'm sure a lot of your audiences as well, your community. So if you're involved in the Svelte community, like how can you get involved? So I might look at the Svelte GitHub org or whatever the equivalent is, you know, go there, like filter issues by like good first issues, or even just like post on the discussions and say, hey, I just started learning to code three months ago. I want to help. Can someone mentor me, guide me?
1: Yeah, we had Brian Douglas on... Early on, when we started doing interviews and he was talking all about open source and he has a project to help pair people up with different open source projects. And it was really interesting to me because like James, I never would have said to a beginner coder, yeah, go start contributing. But he was saying that one of the things that he does is he helps really mentor and teach Mm -hmm. the new developers that are coming onto a project. And I thought that was such a great opportunity from both sides of it. As a maintainer, you're getting somebody that's willing to contribute. But then as a contributor, you're getting somebody that's willing to pour into you.
0: I think that's an important aspect of this, too. I think it's solid advice regardless. Go and contribute to open source. But I think we should call out not every open source project is made equally, especially in terms of the support. So even something simple, Joe, like you said, of searching for a tag of good first issue someone's got to maintain that. And someone who actually tags that thing has to have a a good perspective of what a good first issue is, right? And think about what it's like for someone that's maybe early on in programming in general, but also potentially brand new to this project and then distributing that information in an appropriate way. So not every project is made equally in terms of the ability to contribute. And those are a few things that you may just stumble around. I don't know if, do you have any like suggestion on how people can gauge as they look at a potential project, let's say someone's learning React, they then get into the Next.js ecosystem. They're looking at Next.js and contributor or something, I don't know. Like what are some things that they may gauge on that open source repository to help them feel like this is a good fit or not?
2: Mm, That's a great question. One of the things that you can look at is like a lot of projects in the JS ecosystem use something called all contributors, which we can link to in a second. And it's basically like if you arrive at a readme and you scroll to the bottom, sometimes they'll have this grid of all of these avatars of people who have contributed. And the cool thing about that is there is a spec for ways to recognize all types of contributions. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to fix this bug in React. It could be like, oh, there's a typo and I fixed it in the docs. And so I think that's something that's a good indicator that I've seen where it's like, hey, they're trying to get more contributors and they're recognizing mm. them. Another one, which I'll drop a link here. I just found this from a blog post that I wrote. So in the Rust ecosystem, under the Rust Lang GitHub org, they use a label called eMentor. And Mentor is basically where something comes up and someone like, let's say one of us, knows how to solve it. But instead of solving it and opening a PR, we label it eMentor and say, hey, I know how to fix this mm-hmm. and I'm willing to mentor someone else That's to do it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if there's an equivalent in the JS ecosystem, but it would be cool if we had one. Yeah. I love that. Do
1: you have like your own open source projects that you're maintaining?
2: So for work, I maintain a project called Code Server, uh, which I'll drop a link here which is a fork of VS code that runs in the browser. So if anybody listening wants to get into open source, like that's what I do for work. You can come and I can guide you. But yeah, that's kind of, that's my main open source contribution right now. Very cool.
0: So the code server repo that you just mentioned, you mentioned like VS code in the browser. What's the difference between that? And I always get these things confused. So if you're on GitHub and you do period, that opens up GitHub spaces. Is that right? I always forget what the different things are cuz I feel like there's a lot of tools now.
2: <laughs> yeah, so when you hit the dot, I believe that opens github.dev which mm-hmm. is it's basically code spaces without a backend. So right if you go to open the terminal, there's no terminal. So just kind of viewing what's there and you can make changes but you wouldn't be able to run things. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. So that's github.dev, you know, anybody can use. There's code spaces which was in beta for a long time. I think it's open now. And that would be like basically taking VS Code and putting it in the browser. So you do get the full experience, Mm -hmm. like the terminal and running processes and all that.
1: Very cool.
0: Sweet. Uh, We got a comment in the chat. I don't know if you were going to respond to this, but a question about beginners and open source can join to contribute. Do you want to respond to that one?
2: Yeah, sure. So if you want to contribute to Code Server, I would be more than happy to mentor you. The best thing you could do is open a discussion and say, hey, I was on James and Amy's on compressed today you know i'd love to contribute can you guide me
0: love it i think like content creation amy and i have talked about this like so much of it comes from a place of wanting to teach and to help people and that's where we really shared that passion It's documented like in our earliest notes of like why we're doing this together and i'm really glad that we have that because we can always refer back to that and kind of reference are we still getting that aspect out of what we're doing like we originally planned on which i think we are
1: it'd be fun to make that public too by the way
0: yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'd read that it. That would be fun.
1: <laughs> it was my pitch, James.
0: Yeah, the pitch. Yeah,
1: do a podcast with the crazy lady on the internet.
0: <laughs> yes, that's exactly what she said. She was like, "Hey, I'm, I know this is going to sound no like a crazy person on the internet, but would you want to do a podcast?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, we just met, Mike." <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it worked out so well, but. Back to the other point is like that love for teaching. It's cool when you're in a position when you obviously have a similar passion, all the content and teaching and workshops and things that you've done where you're in a role where part of your role is to continue to do that. That's why DevRel has always or for a while now been the thing that I want to do because I get to combine tech and programming and writing code with teaching other people how to do that through content. So it's nice that you have that ability to have teaching be a part of what you do on a regular basis
2: yeah it feels super fortunate because you know I joined coder and they wanted someone to come in and work on the Code server team and so I've had that opportunity to do like the project manager, the contributor, the reviewer, getting people involved in Code server and so it's a really amazing project and it's been around for four or five years, and so I just feel very fortunate to get to do a little bit of Devrel and a lot of you know technical mm-hmm. work good balance, I think yeah.
1: I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about Hashnode. So Hashnode makes it easy to start a blog in seconds on your own custom domain for free. It's fully optimized for developers and supports writing in Markdown, rich embeds, publishing from a GitHub repository, syntax highlighting and edge caching with Next.js blogs deployed on Vercel. On top of this, your article gets instant readership from the growing community. James and I have talked before on the podcast about how valuable creating content is and how developing an online presence really does give you respect and credibility in the tech space. And really, there's no better way to do that than through Hashnode. So be sure to go to Hashnode.com and join the community. Special thanks to Hashnode for being a Compressed FM sponsor.
0: So... TypeScript. So you're... Well, CodeServer is written
2: in TypeScript, so it's a good segue. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so perfect segue. But your TypeScript experience goes further back than Mm. your job there, right? So just give me a little bit about when and why you got started with TypeScript, and then we'll take it from there.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think it goes back to 20... I want to say 2018. I was working at a company here in Scottsdale, and I was part of a front-end team. There were about four of us. And we were building an internal application with Next.js and Jest. And I think at the time we're using styled components. And that's when I was starting to get more active on Twitter. And it felt like, you know, the cool people were, like, getting into TypeScript. Yeah, like the people that, like, I look up to.
0: Um, Amy and I were playing catch up in the cool space, by the way.
2: (laughs) Now we're we're in there. We're in the cool space. I
1: don't know if we're in there. We're chasing it. We're, We're trying,
2: yes. I think we're there. We're in the crazy part. Well, thank the least. you. <laughs>
1: the crazy. I'll take
2: that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, 2018 was like, okay, this thing's on my radar. Maybe I should start learning it. Mm-hmm. We weren't using it at work at the time, but I was on the market and I was interested. And so I joined a company actually, EchoBind, and they were using TypeScript as part of their default stack. So I was like, okay, like I got to learn it quickly. And so they taught me a lot. One of the cool things about that was it was an agency. So we had 40 hours of billable work. And what they did is they scaled it down to 32 and they gave us what was called investment time. So 32 hours of client work and then eight hours of one-on-ones meetings. But then the rest was spent on learning things that, you know, might help the business. It's similar to the Google's like 20%. And so I said, you know what? I want to go deep on a topic. Like I want to be the EchoBind TypeScript in-house expert. And so that's kind of where I started doing this deep dive.
1: That's so great. Zeal has a similar setup with mm. the 32 hours. All our client projects are either 32 or 36 hours, but those extra to hit 40 are Zeal time. And it makes all the difference. And not just on a personal level and keeping all of us like engaged and doing fun things, but it makes its way into client projects. We've been able to make better recommendations for mm-hmm. clients because of the work that we're doing on the side or that we're
2: learning. Exactly. Like you could be like, Hey, I built this clever way to have, I don't know, component design system. Let me pull Mm -hmm. that tool out so that we can use it across other client projects.
1: Yes. And it honestly offers a little bit more stability in our billing. So if there's a holiday Mm. that week, we still bill 32 hours. So the billing is a lot more stable than having these ebbs and flows depending on holidays and stuff like that.
0: That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's
2: a big win overall.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have been pretty outspoken. I guess like at FedEx is probably the biggest opportunity for this of saying that like developers need time to invest in looking at what's next or alternative tools. Because otherwise you just don't grow. And especially for something like culturally at FedEx where the culture has been around a long time. It's not like they were modern JavaScript developers who are used to stuff changing every day like we are. That's the expectation. So I was always a big advocate of like, we need to spend some amount of time learning. And I just realized, I don't know if I put this together, Joe, but you and I and Mike Cavalier sat outside on our last day in Atlanta at Render, and he's at Ecobine. I don't know if I put together that you had worked there also. Did y'all work there together or did you miss each other?
2: Yeah, no, we worked together. We were co Okay, cool. Yeah,
0: I don't know if I got that at the time or not, but as soon as you said <laughs> it this time, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah. And one of the co-founders of Ecobine, Michael Yared, he was at Render as well. I don't know if you got a chance to meet him. He was there yeah. for like the first day.
0: The community, like it just gets so much smaller, especially as you start making out in person and start to actually see people for who they are. <laughs> Which here's the fun fact of the day. We, all three of us will be in person together in how long can I prolong this? November for Modern Frontends Live. I was yeah. just wondering that. So you read my mm-hmm. mind. Yes. So we'll be there. So I think Amy, we're back on to do a live episode of the podcast as a talk. Awesome. And then to do an Everything Spelt workshop. No way. All right. And Joe, you're doing your TypeScript workshop there.
2: Yes. Yeah, so for context, for listeners, James and I were at Render ATL together, and there I gave a TypeScript workshop: build a mm-hmm. TypeScript street counter from scratch and publish it on npm. And I'm giving the same one oh, that's at awesome. Modern. Yeah.
1: Is it the same time? Can I attend?
2: <laughs> I know, right? We should like yeah. swap because I, I want to learn spells, So
0: I can't remember if I signed us up for a four or eight hour workshop. I think this is the conference that had two different options. <laughs> Let's that's figure that things. out. <laughs> Amy needs to prep. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, we both will. Hey, I'll have some time to work on it. Mm. when. The- <laughs>
1: <laughs> you'll yeah, have simple. time i still have a job
0: <laughs> no yeah, yeah. no I, that's why i said i will have time and that <laughs> yeah. time well used.
1: i'm joking you have a job too
0: i do but that especially would be time well used because not only is it fun not only is it beneficial for people but there's also like the money aspect of making money off of the course as well eventually yeah. so yep yep
2: yeah
1: okay i'm gonna pivot <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: that's fine let's do it i'm not ready
0: Okay. So
1: I say I know just enough TypeScript to be dangerous. That's not true. I know quite a bit.
0: Well, now she's just bragging. The part
1: that gets me, I would say, well, <laughs> I would say it's like that <laughs> 80-20 piece, you know, because you can use it yeah. in a code base. Yes. And it's the part that if you're like a plug-in person or a package mm-hmm. person, you have to be mm-hmm. able to do a lot more fancy things. Like what's happening <sighs> behind the scenes with Prisma and their TypeScript yeah. stuff is crazy because they have all kinds of functions and conditionals, which... I didn't even yeah. know you could even do in TypeScript to be able to see if this type comes in, then you should be looking for these um, types. It's definitely a
0: different level. Shout out to Saber. Yes, yeah. I did
1: see. So he's DevRel hmm. at
0: Prisma. One other thing go I'll ahead. add is you start with 80-20 rule. I'm like 80% in a lot of things. I very rarely go beyond knowledge-wise, it's like that extra 20. I'm usually good with that 80%, but the finer details and the depth of knowledge really comes in that 20%. Yeah.
1: Well, and I would say, let me clarify with that 2080. I feel like I know 20% of TypeScript, but it takes me 80% of the way. It's that extra stuff yeah. that goes super mm-hmm. deep. Yep. So I guess a couple of questions there is one, how deep do you go on TypeScript? And then two, mm-hmm. like, where did you start? Because it can sometimes mm-hmm. be really overwhelming to learn something new.
2: Oh my gosh. I totally agree. So for me, going back to when I was at EchoBind with the investment time, I was like, okay, how do you define in-house expert? And so, you know, I had to come up with this plan and I just read a book called Ultra Learning by Scott Young. Have either of you heard of that? Half of it. (laughs) So you got the gist. I got the gist.
1: I got the gist.
2: Yeah, so for those who haven't, you know, basically Scott Young, like his claim to fame was that he does these ultra learning projects. Like one of them he did was, I'm going to learn four languages in an entire year. So he would go and spend three months in each country and get to a conversationally fluent level. Oh, that's cool. And the other one I think that probably got him more famous was doing like a computer science degree, all of MIT's computer science degree in the year. So he kind of like speed run, kind of like ultra learning is I'm going to go deep and I'm going to go hard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so I used that as a reference. And so like for me, it was like I bought a book. It's it's one of those O'Reilly books. I think it's by Borsch. Journey. I think I went through that. Went through the TypeScript handbook, and I set the ultimate goal of how do I know if I'm expert? You know, at least for Ecobinds level, was can I contribute back to TypeScript? Mm. Like going back to open source, this whole like full circle mm-hmm. thing. But that was, I guess, your first question was like, how do you know how deep to go? That was one of the ways that I did it. I don't think it's the only way. Obviously, there's plenty of other ways. But like with the TypeScript course. That I'm working on right now, it's kind of like, how can we get people to do, Amy, like you said it really well, let's teach the 20% right now in this free email course, and that gets them 80% of the way. So it's three modules. The first one is let's migrate a small open source JavaScript project. It's like one file to TypeScript. So then you get the experience of migrating. The second is let's build something from scratch. No frameworks, no tools, literally an NPM in it, and like we're off. And let's publish it on NPM as an open source project. So you can see like open source is a big theme around the way that we're approaching this course. And then the final one, which I'm super excited about, is learning how to navigate an open source code base. And so the way that we do that is we basically use time travel. So we go back, we find a open source project that has a merged PR that's small in scope. We recreate the code base to when that bug exists or whatever Mm -hmm. fix it is. We just do copy work. So we copy the fix and then on top of it to go a step further, we add a test. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, there's a lot of exciting things that we're doing with like using open source as a learning tool.
1: That's a great idea to find a PR that's already been fixed and merged and see if you can arrive at that same conclusion
0: especially adding all the tasks because you have to have a good understanding
2: of like what's there.
1: I've never thought about that. Yeah, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, I gave a talk at our local Phoenix React.js meetup, but yeah, it was kind of like, I got the idea from another podcast that I listened to called My First Million. And one of the guys on it talks about this thing called copywork, where he basically talks about this idea of copywork, where what he did is he got the catcher in the rye And he hand wrote the entire book as a way to practice, you know, writing well. And after he did that, like one of his businesses was like an email newsletter. And he just got so much better at copywriting and writing emails and like writing engaging Mm. content that I think he eventually created a course on it. And anyways, he sold his company for like millions of dollars. So Casual. No, that tells you something. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No,
1: that whole concept is fascinating, though. There's a UI UX course called Shift Nudge by NDS, yeah. and it's fantastic. Matt used to teach at the University of Georgia, but in one of the modules, he has you go through like different screens that Apple's created, like the weather app or the stock app and basically copy it. You take it into Figma and then you just layer on the text and the shapes and things like that. But he talks about in the course, you learn so much from type scale and spacing by doing that because you start to see some of the principles that Apple uses in their design that you can then apply to your own. And that's crazy. Cause you think well, that's plagiarism, but You know, if you're not claiming it as your own and using it as a learning tool, it really is beneficial.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so when I was putting together, I found this issue on the React Hooks testing library. And it was, this person was like, hey, I want to test my custom React Hook in a server-side rendered environment. It's breaking right now. So that person implemented a fix, like April, 2021. We take it, we check out the commit before, we implement their fix. And the cool thing about it is they didn't add a test so in the course we start with a test we take a tdd approach we add a test reproduce their bug add their fix and we actually find a way to like make it even better like tiny like typescript adjustment and i actually took that and submitted it as a pr back upstream like 2 months ago and that got merged and so that was exciting that is very cool
0: One of the things I'm really impressed about people that listen to audio after the fact, you can't see this, but Joe shared a link to joeprevet.com slash TypeScript. And I love this for so many reasons. Like one of the biggest opportunities for me, I think doing content full time is just getting better at being more productive with what I have and getting more visibility for what I have. And consistency for a lot of different things because I don't necessarily have a long-term theme on content. And that's obviously something that you have done because you've done egghead work slash we'll be working on a bigger egghead course. You've done your workshops in person and you've built this up over time and just made a name for yourself as a TypeScript person, which is huge. And so on your slash TypeScript, you've got a link to all the different TypeScript articles that you've written and other things. So and books and code and like all these things that you've got on here or just resources that you can link to. That's such a good idea. And one of the things, Amy, that I've mentioned you like building up to actually it's probably mostly going to be after the official first day of launch for everything Svelte is me continuing to build up Svelte content and then link back to the course and then a, a potential newsletter with tips and all the things that like in reality, I should have done leading up to this if I was better prepared and all those things. But that's one of the pieces of advice that Joel from Egghead gave me too, is if you have a course on a certain topic, get SEO value out of that topic on your website so that you can control at least linking people off to your course or your free resource or whatever. So my plan, now that I have more time, as I do a YouTube video on Svelte, for example, do the corresponding blog article, build up some SEO juice for spell, on my domain, then link over to the course. So this is such a cool example of taking advantage of the fact that you've kind of built a name and a reputation in this space and having one resource that you can send people to that I'm sure then links to like other opportunities and things that you want people to see. So cool.
2: Yeah. And this kind of comes full circle because at EchoBind, I wrote a lot of those articles either at work or in my free time. And later in my career, when I was looking for a new job, I saw the TypeScript engineer opening at Coder. And so that day Mm -hmm. I made this post so that I could send to the recruiter like, hey, here's all my TypeScript stuff, one link. And I eventually got the job. Yep. I
0: mean, we've talked about it over and over again on the channel. The power that content can have for you and your career is unrivaled. It just, it Mm -hmm. can open up so many opportunities for yourself. If you want to get a job doing a thing, go work with that thing and create content around that thing and give yourself a little bit of credibility that you can show to people.
2: Yeah. And the same is true for open source because my PR into into the TypeScript code base was open source. When I was applying to Coder, I said, look, like here it is, go look at my Mm -hmm. work, you know? So it's the Mm -hmm. same for your technical work as your content work.
1: I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about daily.dev. First, I think we all recognize how hard it is to stay up to date with the latest and greatest within the tech community, but there are resources like daily.dev that provide a community-based feed of the best developer news, helping you stay current. Daily.dev aggregates hundreds of sources every few minutes and creates a personalized feed just for you according to your interests. So whether that's web dev, data science, or Elixir, anything you might be interested in, it has content for you. There is a web version of the product if you want to see exactly what the feed looks like. Otherwise, just go over to daily.dev and there's a link directly on the homepage to install their extension within your browser. From there, anytime you want to load a new tab, you'll see the newsfeed. James and I both have it installed and use it to stay current ourselves and so should you. So go check it out at daily.dev. Special thanks to daily.dev for being a compressed FM
0: sponsor. Give us your one-minute pitch on Vim, and then we'll get a
2: link to that as well. So my pitch is, if you love VS Code and you want to get better with the shortcuts, like do more with less shortcuts, then you should learn Vim to use in VS Code. So because VS Code comes with batteries included, right? You've got an easy way to manage extensions and all that. What you're doing with Vim is you're basically replacing the either like Sublime key bindings or the native VS Code key bindings. And the beauty of that is that those keyboard shortcuts, like the Vim key bindings, translate to using Vim in your terminal. So I like to combine Vim and VS Code to basically like have a supercharged editor.
1: Very cool. How much much Mm time would you say you save by using Vim versus Sublime or TextMate key bindings?
2: I would say for me, the beauty is, for example, if I need to change a string, I can do like CI and then the double quote. And now it deletes everything inside the quotes and I can start typing. So you can just supercharge. Same with HTML. If you have a div and you need to change everything inside the div, when your cursor's on it, you can do CIT to change in tag. And so it's just amazing how fast you can change things. Same with like functions, like the two curly brackets.
0: Mm, Very cool. The one reason... I haven't gone farther down the Vim route and I probably won't. And it's the same reason that I haven't gone down the GitHub copilot route is it makes it really hard for recording content if people don't know what you're doing. And that really disappoints me sometimes because I would love to use both of those things. But I just find myself like recording something and having to change settings and just not wanting to overwhelm people that are watching the piece of content that's focused on something else that's not vim or github copilot but i have loved going through your content and seeing the impact that you've had an influence on getting people to at least check it out in the community
2: yeah it's been really cool yeah because i mean the other thing that's cool is like it's transferable right if you're using code sandbox or replit both of those have vim key bindings if you're using Hmm. obsidian vim key bindings so again your sublime key bindings aren't going to transfer over but chances are your vim will yeah fair enough
0: yeah. Cool. So two links. We want to make sure that we just kind of reiterate for the podcast. typescriptcourse.com and vim for vscode.com. So we'll have those in the show notes for people to check out. Amy, will you close this out?
1: <laughs> yeah. We appreciate everybody for hanging in there, hanging out, talking in the chat. Joe appreciate having you on. It has been a pleasure. (laughs) I have not checked to see who the guest is next week. I'm sure it's somebody great as well. So come back next week, same time, same place. That's all we got.